0: Hello, and what is up, super cool kids? Welcome to the Atypical Behavior Analyst, your place in space to hear conversational information about the science of behavior analysis. I am your host, Kelly, and welcome to this special release episode. But before we begin, let's go over some quick housekeeping. First, we are ACE approved, so if you're listening for continuing education units, jot down the two keywords interspersed during a talk, and then take those over to our website atypicalba.com where you can purchase CEUs. Take a few minutes to cruise around the site as well to find some additional resources for each episode and more information about our amazing guests next if you'd like to stay up to date with upcoming talks and live events you can find subscribe chat with us on insta facebook and linkedin our live events are a fantastic time to hang out learn and interact directly with us and our guests and feel free to reach out on social media and say hi we'd like to connect to our listeners and one final tidbit stay tuned after the talk for a preview clip from episode 35 All right, guys, the good stuff. So in today's talk, I get a chance to meet with Miko, who is an autistic self-advocate living in Canada. And during our chat, he provides his perspectives on what he found supportive, unhelpful, painful, traumatic, and how and when he actually felt his voice was finally being heard. He'll also discuss his work in self-advocacy, long and short-term goals, and how others can do better for the autistic community. So, adjust your volume, grab your beverage of choice, and join us for Episode 34, Lived Experience and Self-Advocacy with Miko von Speek. So, welcome, friends, to this episode of the Atypical Behavior Analyst. I am your host, Kelly, and I am stoked because we're starting kind of a, maybe a new series. Um, if you've heard one of our previous episodes, we've interviewed uh, a, an individual named Rebecca who is an autistic RBT and she gave her experience. And today I am joined by Miko, who is an autistic self-advocate and a volunteer for the Ontario Autism Coalition. So I'm really excited um, because a lot of what we've been learning in the last year with the podcast and our interviews um, and just life in general is that we've neglected a lot of listening um, to the people that we work with, the people that we come in contact with. We're doing a lot of just our own perspectives and putting our perspectives on them instead of actually taking in what they're saying and and processing and hearing and taking it as valid. Um, everybody has a story, everybody has a voice, and it's something that we want to utilize this platform for is to allow people to have their chance to express what they've been through um, their their perceptions of it what their experiences were how it affected them and impacted them in the long run I mean it's not just a one-shot deal like trauma happens it changes your brain Um, it affects you for the rest of your life and so I like I said I'm so excited to join with Miko today so thank you so much for coming on
1: with us no worries thank you for having me
0: so, um, as we kind of get in, um, one of the things that I love we've done with everybody is, is to tell a little bit of your story. So, you know, what what are you doing um, now? But really, you know, how did you get here? Um, what, what's life like? And then we'll dig a little bit more um, in depth.
1: Sure. So, um, my name is Miko. I am an autistic self-advocate. Uh, like Kelly said, I volunteer for the Ontario Autism Coalition. Um... I was diagnosed very late for a male. Usually males are diagnosed very early, but I was only diagnosed at age seven um, by world-renowned autism specialist, Dr. Wendy Roberts. Um, And how I got here is when I first joined the Ontario Autism Coalition, I was more so looking for friends rather than to become a self-advocate. And then it just kind of happened from there that I started making new connections and people started liking some of the stuff I was posting. And then it Kind of went from there it was never really planned
0: as i think some of the best things in life aren't it's great that way spontaneity chaos um so with being a self-advocate can you kind of describe um, what your experience like is as an autistic individual because as anyone who's ever crossed either worked with someone who has autism or has autism everyone's different i mean all humans are different and Every autistic person has kind of their own flavor. So, what is your experience like and what was it kind of like growing up? Like you said, trying to find friends um, and those kind of relationships and everything.
1: Yeah, it was really hard as a kid. Um, I think I've always known that I was different even before I got my diagnosis because when I was really young, like probably three, four, five years old, I never had interest in playing with other kids. I would more stick to being around the adults um, or just by myself in my own little world. And so I kind of have always known that I was different, but I didn't really understand why because I was so young. And then as I got older, I started to understand. And once I got my diagnosis and once I got, you know, um, every kind of thing with the diagnosis and then going for a bunch of appointments and going to social skills classes and going to therapy and, I, my therapist would explain that you know being autistic is not a bad thing; it's uh, it's a unique gift, and that that you know there is always going to be a, some sort of struggle, but that I'll be able to get through it as time progresses.
0: It was really supportive. So yeah,
1: my therapists were really supportive. Like a lot of people are like, oh, like there's a lot of people out there that think that autism therapist is like awesome therapy rather is like conversion therapy for gay people but it's really not if I had to pick between what traumatized me between school and therapy I would say school traumatized me a million times more than my therapy did
0: so let's kind of jump into that a little bit so because let's see seven would make it's like what first or second grade or how does it work first grade okay um so first grade I mean you're still doing a lot of like learning you know, basic skills and everything. And so you mentioned like trying to find friends. So not only do you have a struggle with learning and processing and, and that, but then there's also these, a lot of times very forced relationships. Um, and so being put into very uncomfortable situations. So can you kind of talk about some of those experiences, good and bad?
1: Sure. So like a lot of kids in my class, they'd have birthday parties and I wouldn't often get invited. I got invited to maybe one or two And then there'd be like kids that were like my brother's age and they'd have parties and my parents didn't want me to feel left out. So like he can only, Alex, which is the name of my brother, can only go if Miko gets invited as well. And a lot of times they'd, they'd kind of roll their eyes and say, okay, fine, whatever. But you could tell they didn't really want to invite me, but they kind of felt that they needed to. Um, But I mean, there was like one family that were really accepting and they had me over to their house and, uh they let my parents stay with me so I wasn't by myself if anything happened. And uh yeah, it was it was a fun party. Um but yeah, I've always struggled to make friends and I got bullied for being different. I think kids they don't do it out of maliciousness. I think they just do it because they don't understand why some kids are different than others and why everything happens. Well it's, you
0: know if if you're not exposed to it you don't know that it exists and if it's different then it's potentially scary and for some people um you know you've got two options i can run towards it and embrace it and try to learn more about it or it can freak me out and i do my best to get away from it and you know it's, exactly it's not like a diagnosis though is you know a tiger running at you um it's a human so with right. in school and everything um and i don't know how as I've talked on the pod in previous episodes, um, I don't know how public school works in general um, because I went to uh, military schools and then I was in private schools, but I don't know how the Canadian schools work. So um, is we it private? Two,
1: uh, education sectors. Is the private and then there's the public. Uh, public, we pay through our taxes. So when everyone pays their taxes, that goes towards our education system. And then private, you actually have to pay like out of pocket. And you have to basically, I remember when I was in private school at the end of August I'd have to go in to just drop an envelope with a check, and the check would be for like thirteen thousand dollars or whatever um but the, the the but then like they would null and void it because um they put me on a scholarship, but it was just for their like they didn't actually take the money it was just for like uh um security reasons but they give a check back at the end of the year um because i was there on a scholarship but those who were not there on scholarships who could actually afford it would like it i think it was like more than university i think like university here's like 20 grand a year and that school's like twenty eight thousand a year i want to say but yeah it's a car
0: that's a nice car so so what were the differences that you found between like public and private school and what made the the shift from those two?
1: So the difference with private schools, a lot of the private schools, the classes are a lot smaller, which is easier for someone like me who struggles in big environments uh, in terms of learning environments. Whereas when I was in, ele- you know, in elementary school and public high school for one semester, some of my classes would have like I don't know, like 40 or 50 kids. Or if we're talking about grade nine gym class in my first high school, there'd be like two teachers to a hundred kids. So it's like one teacher to 50 kids. And that ratio, we're not supposed to have more than, I think like one to 25. So they're way over, but there's lack of funding. So they can't really do anything about, but at the same time, that's illegal because of safety reasons. Like, in grade nine, they just put, like, all the grade nine boys in one gym class and then all the grade nine girls in another gym class. And, it, yeah, it was just crazy.
0: So, teaching-wise, like, did you have preferred teachers? Did you have preferred subjects? Were there, like, what were some of the issues oh, yeah. that you came so across?
1: My preferred subjects uh, were English, history, geography, art, and then gym class whereas I'm diagnosed with severe learning disabilities in math and science. So those were the classes where I really struggled. And then we, um, in uh, Canada, in the public school system, you have to do French class as, uh, um, what do they call it, Um, as one of your rotary subjects from grades four to grade eight. I struggled, but I had a good French teacher. So even though I struggled, it wasn't like the teacher was being mean. He was, like, really supportive and one of my favorite teachers. Um, but, um, I still struggled because my brain doesn't pick up other languages all that well.
0: So when you say good teacher, like what made, what made them supportive or like, what were the things that they did or said? They that- would always
1: like sit with me once everyone else was settled in and try to help me to do the work. And then they'd like, you know, uh, they'd offer and then sometimes I'd go in like before school to work on some work or at lunchtime or after school and they'd kind of tutor me and and they really put a lot of time and effort and like I was on the I was on a lot of sports teams in school and so they came and supported me and watched came, and they're like yeah I, I don't come for any of the other students like I come to watch you play basically out of like two teachers that told me I was their favorite student Whereas I've had two teachers that literally told me to my face I would never amount to anything I should just give up in life.
0: So let's kind of, if if you're okay, let's kind of unpack that a little bit. So, I mean, it's not just things that people say. Um, I mean, there's body language because they're sitting down and helping somebody through work and giving them that extra assistance, but there's ways to do it in both a good and a bad way. Like it's quiet. It's, you know, I'm not calling attention. Whereas, yeah, there are times that You know, we can all be guilty of like, hey, what do you mean you don't get this? Fine. You know, see me after class. And it's not done in this way that's like, I understand and I'm hearing that you're struggling. It's more of like you're causing a problem because you're not getting it.
1: So it wasn't even that. Like, I'd get frustrated and then I'd start, like, getting anxious. I get really anxious when I get frustrated. I have an anxiety disorder. And so those two do not mix well.
0: So, um. When you would start to experience like those kind of anxious feelings, what were some of the things that you did, and were they supported or not? Things
1: I experienced like my heart would start racing, I'd start like sweating, I started feeling like a panic attack coming on. And for anyone who has an anxiety disorder, you know how much panic attacks suck. Such an anxiety causer for me because I remember like I'd be on my way to school, like because most of the schools I went to for the first for all of elementary school and then not all of them, most of elementary school. And then the first semester of high school were like a 15-minute walk from my house. But as I'm getting close to school, I can feel my stomach going into knots, no, not knowing what, what to expect day to day. And, you know, you know, how are people going to treat me? How are teachers or fellow students going to treat me? And it was just, school caused me a lot of anxiety. Like I, I have like stomach ulcers from the stress of school. And it's
0: something that, you know, a lot of, uh, BCBAs and behavior analysts and, um, those that work in like special ed will put in, you know, a calm down room or a break room. And it's, you know, people really need to understand the fact of it's not just to get away from work. Like it's not just to escape this little anxious environment. Like it's a whole lot more than that. And when you're a kid, those are really big emotions and you don't often have words for them. It's like, how do you feel? Huh? Like, I don't know. What does my face look like? Yeah.
1: We didn't have that. We like, um, when I, even when I was at the private school, they would just allow us to go for a walk in the hallway to clear our head. Um, and, the, and also with the private school, they'd get a lot of, like, volunteers that uh, would work with kids that would come into the classroom and help the teachers. But they obviously had to beforehand, they'd go through, like, an interview process and they'd go through, like, a police background check because they're working with vulnerable people. But these volunteers were absolutely amazing.
0: That's really cool um, and not something that's And then we'd common. also get
1: like uh, teachers that were in teachers co- or students that were in teachers college and they'd come and do their placement at our school. And then one of them ended up being a teacher at that school after teachers college placement. What
0: was your perspective
1: on them? Um, yeah, it was uh, very interesting seeing someone... Because when you think of a student teacher, you think, okay, this person's going to do the placement, and you're never going to see them again. And then, like two years later, oh, they're your teacher now.
0: So, do you feel like she learned anything from you?
1: Um. Yeah, I definitely feel like I learned a lot from them, but they learned a lot from me. I think it was a mutual kind of we learned stuff from each other, not just myself and the teacher, but other students and the teachers as well. And when I first got to uh, private school so in public school we call our teachers like Mr. This or Mrs. That or whatever whereas at the private school I went to they were like oh we call teachers by their first name it's a sign of mutual respect
0: that's that's really different um yeah my military background yeah, I can't I, process I, shocked.
1: I was like my whole life I was like taught to call him Mrs. This or Mr. That or whatever and it was like, almost like they were like an authoritative dictator in this school. It's like, no, we have mutual respect. We're not going to dictate you. We're, we'll help guide you, but we're not going to dictate you.
0: I think it's a beautiful way of saying it. Like it, it's guiding, you know, I don't, I don't know what you experience, you know, everything's it, it's me, there, but there has to be that, um, That relationship. So it's like, I know where you want to go. I'm not going to force you to go that path. I may have good intentions for you. I may want to lead it out a certain way. Um, But, you know, we can't come in and be judging and be like, oh, well, because you didn't do it my way, therefore, you know, you're not going to succeed, which it seems like the teachers that you had that weren't supportive, that was kind of their mentality with it.
1: Yeah, but also their mentality was, you're the student, I'm the teacher, I'm in charge of you while you're here. Whereas it wasn't like that when I was at the private school because like they they knew that they worked with students who obviously had trauma and we'd have school sessions and they'd have bring in psychologists to talk to us and, you know, be able to get a little bit of counseling, even though it wasn't enough, it was a start at least.
0: Well, and it already breaks out of like the stigma that there's mental health issues because people forget that there's a lot of comorbidities Um, with autism. A lot of times there's depression, anxiety, processing disorders, and there's, and yeah. Not only that,
1: but there's also no trauma from past life experiences, not even to do with autism. It was like to do with bullying or to do with uh, certain, I guess, um, uh, tragedies that had happened in my life, like outside of that. And so there's also that added trauma as well. And, you know, um, I remember it took me a while to open up to my teachers. Like, I kind of put this shell around myself almost as to protect myself. Think of, like, a turtle going into its shell to protect itself from enemies. It's kind of like I put up a wall, figuratively speaking, um, between myself because I was scared to get hurt again. And slowly over time, with their kindness and their generosity and their approach to things I was able to break that wall they were able to break that wall down not in an aggressive way but in a way that I could start to trust them yeah and it
0: for a lot of people you know as teachers they may only see that student that one year Um, they may catch them a couple more times and so the lack of investment that happens, it's kind of like, oh, well, someone else is just going to get them. And for me, I'm kind of like, then why, why are you teaching? Like, you know, these are, these are humans and, you know, in some cases they're little humans, some cases they're bigger humans and, but they're there to learn. And, you know, if we've learned nothing from the science of behavior, like we're really good at imitating things. And so when that you kind know, I of mean, I, lack of
1: disrespect. I had, happens, two te- I had two different teachers three years in a row, so it wasn't like they're going to see me and then someone else was going to get me. Like I had them three years in a row each. So combined six years. So they got a lot of time spent with me.
0: Okay. That's better than what I was anticipating. (laughs) So which, okay. So with, with some of those that can be good things and it can be bad things. So what were some of the, the bad things that you wish would have been done differently or been handled differently? If you don't mind sharing.
1: So in my um, immediate area, there's there's two high schools. Um, there's one that's more um, academic and there's one that's more hands-on technical kind of. But the, the thing is, there's different catchment areas. So if, you're, if you live in a certain part of the district, you go to one school. If you live in a certain part, then you go to another school. And the school that I was supposed to go to Uh, was a more academic one. But because of my academic struggles, they wouldn't take me even though they legally had to. And so I was like back and forth with interviews between the two schools. Eventually the one school that wasn't even in their catchment area took me, even though like, I remember going for the intake interview with my dad and the the guidance counselor did it because the principal was dealing with another issue. And because the principal usually does the intake interviews. And this is at the public um, high schools uh before i went to private high school and the resource teacher that did the interview basically was like yeah you won't make it in this school it's very academic you'll probably end up wandering the halls or sitting alone in the bathroom basically saying i'm not smart enough and like she wouldn't she didn't actually say oh you're not smart enough she was basically like you're not going to make it academically here you'll end up wandering the halls or being in the bathroom And I'm like, you do know I can get a tutor, right? Like, even with that, like, some classes you might pass barely, but a lot of classes you're still going to fail and blah, 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 blah. Like, in front of my dad, I'm like, even my dad is like, okay, yeah, we're out of here. We got up and left.
0: I mean, if you have the audacity to say that in front of a parent, like, yeah, I want no part of whatever this institution is.
1: But the thing is, she wasn't even supposed to really do the interview. The principal had her do it because I, I seem to remember the principal was dealing with another kind of issue.
0: So one of the things like in all of this um, and that I see when I've gone into schools and hearing teachers and everything is where was your
1: voice in all of this? Did you have one? Like- I feel like I only really got a voice for myself like when I was in certain teachers' classes in elementary school. And then once I got to the private high school, because everywhere else I felt like in elementary school when I didn't have the good teachers and when I was at the first high school once, we went to, which was a public high school, I felt like I had no voice. And then when I got to the private high school or I was in a certain teacher's class for like a few years uh, in elementary school and then I had two teachers before her I I felt like I had a voice, but the rest of the time, I felt like I had no voice.
0: And we've talked a lot um, in previous episodes about consent. And it's such a huge discussion um, now in mental health and behavior analysis and, and really just everywhere of, you know, what that means and what it doesn't mean. And so it's, you know, you've, you've, you're a kid, and you've been given this diagnosis and told like, okay, here's, here's the reason that maybe you felt weird. Okay, cool. I can deal with that. But then now everyone's still dictating, Hey, you need to do this, go here, do this, do this. And even when it comes to like programming goals, you know, it, the, the long-term effects of that, of your, of your ability to express yourself. Like, I mean, how often did you feel like, why should I even do this and just shut up?
1: Yeah. They often ostracize kids, you know, like, if you weren't in mainstream, you were in. So there's the gifted class, and then there's the. They called it the learning disabled class, which I was in the learning disabled class. That's what they called it, LD or learning disabled. And there's a gifted. And because we were not in the mainstream, either in the gifted or in the LD, we were ostracized by the rest of the school. Like we were looked at as we were freaks or like monsters or something.
0: And it doesn't help in the teachers you know, even subtle body movements and behaviors. Like I've seen those that the student walks in and the eyes roll or there's a deep sigh. I've gotten
1: that plenty of times. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you're here. I wish you kind of wouldn't show up kind of thing.
0: Oh, you weren't feeling well yesterday. I hope you're feeling better today.
1: Then when you get a teacher that actually cares, they're like, Oh, like, are you okay? Like I heard you weren't feeling well yesterday. And like, I had the same teacher grade four, five, six. She was one of my favorite teachers, and I. She lives in the neighborhood, so I still sometimes bump into her. And then, like the, my former grade one and two teacher, um, that I had, they were also some of my favorite teachers. Um, though I did grade one twice because the first time I was in and out of hospital dealing with a lot of illnesses that I no longer have to deal with, thankfully. Um, but the second time I was in grade one, my teacher got called to jury duty, and then we. Ha- had a permanent sub and she was there just while our teacher was away on jury duty uh and then she left the as soon as our teacher came back um and that lady lives she doesn't teach at uh, the school I was at anymore she teaches out of the area but she lives like down the road from me and I'm
0: gonna kind of put some things together with this like again things that I people forget about it's these long-term things so you know these were good experiences so when you see them it's like hey this is awesome I like seeing this person but like if you were to pass by the school and it all of a sudden you have that moment of like oh yeah there were some really crappy things that happened here like it does it puts a knot
1: in your stomach and a little bit yeah but I try not to let it get to me because like the school I went to have like a big outdoor basketball court so in the summer even once I was finished high school and elementary school, I'd go and play basketball there. And I just try not to think about some of the memories I had there. I'd try and just focus on being in the moment and playing basketball with my friends. So I try and use something to like distract myself from not remembering those memories.
0: Yeah. You did have very good therapists. Um, So when did you really start, finding your voice and feeling that kind of empowerment from, you know, being confident or growing in your confidence of who you are?
1: I think it was, you know, in the later elementary school years, when my parents would start taking me to like IRPC meetings and IEP meetings and, you know, trying to discuss what things I would like to incorporate. And, um, you know, them trying to rip my EAs away from me, I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. And it got to a point like when I was between the sixth and seventh grade or I think, yeah, between sixth and seventh grade where uh, they were basically like, yeah, we're going to rip both of them away from you. And I'm like, if you do, I walk out those doors and I don't come back. And I hate playing the bully card, but at the same time, I felt like my back was against the wall and I had to kind of get myself out of that because I don't like feeling like my back's against the wall and like I'm in a corner. And I don't like to think of myself as a bully because I'm typically very, very nice, but if you go get on my bad side that's when it's not going to be a pleasant time
0: understandable when you're not being heard al- what do we do we scream louder and if that doesn't get answered we go to the next step we go to the next step until something happens
1: so yeah and eventually like okay well then we'll give you one of your yeas once a week i'm like no, no 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 that's not and then they ended up just ripping them both away and no matter how loud i screamed and yelled they just didn't care and then they wonder why I struggled in the seventh and eighth grade. Like, those were probably, probably my worst years of elementary school. And then also third grade, because the teacher I had in third grade wasn't that great. But the teacher I had in first grade, second grade, and then fourth, fifth, and sixth grade were all great. Because the teacher I had in fourth grade also had in fifth and sixth grade. So those three teachers in grade one, two, four, five, and six were, like, my three favorite teachers. And then also my French teacher I had uh, as well. He was really great as well.
0: That's so cool. I also love the fact that you were able to, everyone's still kind of in the area. That's really nifty.
1: Well, a lot of, uh, actually, a lot of the teachers that retired, the, the, a lot of the teachers I like retired. They were uh, kind of older when they had me, whereas like two of them were like right out of teacher's college. So like really young. So they're still teaching. But the ones that were older have retired. And like the one I think moved to Niagara on the lake, and I don't know where the other moved to sweet yeah niagara on the lake kind of borders the u.s like from the canadian side of niagara falls you can see the u.s side of niagara falls so you can see to a different country it's kind of cool that from one country you can see into another country
0: it's a real pretty pretty view too as opposed to yeah. Yeah, yeah there's a border there's a
1: bridge where you can walk across the border you take your passport and you can only walk across the border for a day trip
0: on the bucket list now I just found my passport the other day too.
1: Yeah, oh, you should see it. Like all the, uh, so we have this thing called Service Ontario where you go and renew your passport. The lineups outside of all the service Ontario, because people realize, oh, well, I was in lockdown, couldn't travel, and I didn't check my passport. Now I want to go traveling. Oh, my passport's expired. And like everyone's realizing it. Whereas I did mine before the pandemic struck.
0: You know, I got mine renewed right like the year before. So I'm like, yeah, I'm solid. I got this.
1: Yeah, my my passport, my South African and my Canadian passport, because I'm born in South Africa. I have both passports, and they both don't expire till like 2025. 20, Sweet. But for reference, I was born 1995, so I'll, I'll be 30 when it expires. Four. I remember being 19, not wanting to turn 20, and I joked that, "Oh, I'm gonna go to Neverland with Peter Pan and never age." I'm still holding on to that. <laughs> That's still my yeah, goal. Still holding on. To- I mean, like. I have knee problems in my right knee due to genetics, and I went to my doctor about it like last year before we went into the last lockdown. And my my um, doctor's like, "Yeah, you're gonna need knee replacement surgery by the time you're 70." I'm like, "Yeah, you just made me feel really old there, doc." It only gets worse. <laughs> so with that, yeah, being... only gets worse with age. Yeah.
0: So you were born in South Africa and I know you told me you guys um, immigrated to Canada when you were younger, but you guys still go back periodically. What's the difference like when it comes to the disability culture um, compared to Canada, the U S South Africa?
1: Um, yeah, like, so I went back the last time in 2016 into 2017 and uh, there was a incident where me and my dad had to go to the emergency room there. And when they looked at our medical files, they're like, what is autism? Like they doctors that were trained working in the hospital, didn't know what autism was. And they don't have a, a um, a well-versed idea of what autism like is or what it does like here in North America. And there are groups that are now starting to advocate like we are down in South Africa. I've been in touch with a couple of them via social media. Um, But there's still so much work to be done um, there compared to here. Oh, my God.
0: So let's kind of jump into that. So what kind of work are you doing when you say you self-advocate and then you're volunteering? um, What is that experience?
1: So uh, before the pandemic, myself and a group of parents from the Ontario Autism Coalition would go to the Ontario provincial legislature every day and sit in on question period, which is where the, the opposition parties um, ask questions to the government and the government kind of ramble on so, like about something completely different to what they're being asked and they don't answer any questions. Um, and we would try and get meetings with any MPPs, whether it be government or opposition, to try and get our voices heard. Uh, and then the lockdowns happened and then we started doing what we call Twitter storms, where we tweet at the government who thought, okay, the pandemic's happening, now we can avoid these people and focus solely on the pandemic and not on their rights and their, you know, livelihood. And then we'd, like, mass tweet at them, and then they start blocking us. And before the pandemic, also on Fridays, we would do uh, peaceful protests outside of the government um, MPPs' constituency offices in their ridings rather than at the provincial legislator. And like every week, they'd call the cops on us because that seems to be their tactic.
0: That's a waste of taxpayer
1: dollars. The cops could be dealing with much more severe things
0: than having you sit in the back of their squad card for a couple of hours. Well, no,
1: they never put us in the back of the squad card. That only oh, happens once. Nice. Whereas the rest of the time, they would just come and talk to us like, what are you guys doing? What is your intention? And then when they realize you weren't doing anything malicious, they'd be like, okay. And then they'd pack up and leave. So what are the long-term like goals? The one then? officer okay. we encountered actually had a child with autism, so she understood why we were doing what we're doing, but she's not allowed to openly support us, but she's like, I understand why you're doing what you're doing. I have a kid with autism, but she's still not allowed to openly support us because she works for the government technically.
0: All right. Pardon the interruption, friends, but if you are listening for Continuing Education Units, here is the first of your two keywords. Your first word is heard, H-E-A-R-D. Everyone wants their voice to be heard. Yay, semantics. Um, So like, what are the long-term and short-term goals for what you guys are planning with the coalition?
1: Long-term goal, we want to get every person with autism, regardless of age, proper needs-based therapy, whether it be ABA, IBI, speech or occupational therapy or any type of autism therapy um, and no age cutoff because right now every therapy gets cut off at age 18 for government funded. But if you can pay out of pocket, then there's, you can go to a private thing and they'll work with adults. But that's few and far in between. And we need proper funding for that therapy because in Ontario, like if you're doing full-time ABA or IBI as a client, it's the it cost is like ninety grand a year. Not every family has ninety grand to just fork out. Holy cow! Whereas the government's like, oh yeah, we'll give everyone like twenty-five thousand, which covers like two or three months at most, and then you're done with all the money. And then oh, we'll give you a, another five thousand dollar top up, which will cover like two weeks, maybe three weeks, and a lot of, and it's like, you get that, like, 20, like, maybe combine 30 grand for every year until you turn 18, and then once you turn 19, you're cut off, or 18, once you turn 18, you're cut off, and it's just like, no, that's not proper funding, and then they it's like, they think one size fits all, and it's not. Every person with autism, like, every neurotypical person who doesn't have autism is vastly different from one another. We have a saying in the Ontario Autism Coalition: "You've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism."
0: I like the phrase too, with the you know it's needs-based. Yeah, because we don't want to shirts that say
1: needs-based therapy. Like we made shirts, uh, like and we started like selling them to people, and uh, we'd have rallies on the front lawn of our legislator, like three or four times when our current premier was still running, he promised that we would not have to protest on the front lawn, and he was behind us a thousand percent, and that was a fat lie. And he's it, so uneducated, like, he calls people that disobey the law a bunch of yahoos.
0: It's always a fun frame, like, that's okay, I don't know how that's supposed to intimidate
1: me, okay.
0: Like, it's not really insulting to me. Yahoos. That's um, what we say in Texas, yahoo. Something like that, yeehaw! I don't know. I just live here. <laughs> so, okay, let's actually unpack that first. I had a question with. Um, I know ABA. What is IBB?
1: IBI. It's It's, IBI. it's um. Uh, what's it stand for? Intensive behavior intervention. Okay. It's like sense. ABA, but more intense. Gotcha. Gotcha. So,
0: um. I know that you didn't specifically have much interaction with like that kind of the world and everything, but what therapies, um, if any, did you have to go through? And
1: I used to through, because I uh, doubt you were given a- occupational therapy. Were you given a choice on those,
0: or was it like, no, this is what you're doing?
1: Um. Well, I was given an assessment by a um, by a, an autism specialist, and they're like, I they're like, let's try speech and occupational therapy and see how that works, and it just worked for me. But they're like, if it doesn't, then we'll put him in ABA, but clearly speech and occupational therapy worked for me. Okay. It's kind of like a trial basis. They're like, we'll try it. If it doesn't work, then we'll switch to something else.
0: Okay, cool. It wasn't like,
1: he's doing this and nothing else. Like It was kind of like, we'll try. If it doesn't work, then we'll switch to this, and we'll keep switching until we find something that works.
0: I like that. I like that a lot because I think too many of us get focused on like, again, it needs to fit in this certain package. And I'm like, man, that's boring. I don't like the same package. Like I like all the different shapes and sizes and colors and sprinkles and everything like that. Cause that's what makes humans fascinating. Um, and that's what makes learning really cool too, because like you said, like math and science don't jive in your brain, but man, the rest of it, it totally works. And it's greatness.
1: Well, I mean, before my mom worked in the film, she, she was a teacher, and so she hammered history and geography between my brothers since before we could even talk and walk. So, like, I, I had an advantage, me and my brother had an advantage there over our peers. So, like, I slept, me and my brother slept through grade 9 history and geography class, and we both passed with, like, 90s because we were so far ahead that it was, like, almost boring to us. I was like, this is boring. Like, give me something challenging.
0: Thanks, Mom.
1: Yeah, but it's like, I don't know, I wouldn't have minded a, a challenge, but it just wasn't challenging. Like imagine if I'd actually tried because again, we sucked through the class and we got ninety-five. Imagine if we'd actually like tried with effort what marks we would have gotten. So what would have
0: what would have made you more um involved in that class if you could go back and redo it?
1: I just I think more challenge. Like there were certain things that we touched on but we didn't really go in depth, and I would have loved to have gone in depth, but they didn't really want to talk about world history. We touched on it briefly, but like we touched on, like, First and Second World War and how Canada was involved and, like, a little tiny bit of the Russian Revolution, but it was mostly Canadian history. But we, like, touched li- little periods of time on world history, like First World War, Second World War, the Russian Revolution, but, like, very basic touch on that. It wasn't like in depth. And I think I would have preferred that. It would have been more challenging, I think.
0: I know it took a while for my brain to process. Like, you know, I, I put things almost linearly when it comes to history. Like, well, this happened at like World War II happened. And I forget that like there were other things happening in the 1940s. Um, you know, there were certain people that were alive at the same time. And so kind of seeing that overlay and how they all interconnect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also That's there's so like the Great Depression and, all this other stuff. Again, we briefly touched on it, but we didn't really go in depth in learning about it. We just learned how Canada was involved again in like the great depression, world war one, world war two. And then like, okay, we'll briefly touch on Russian, the Russian revolution, but it's like, okay, we're briefly touching on, but we're not really learning much about it because we're moving on to, Oh, we want to really focus only on Canadian history. I think it would have been more of a challenge if they'd done a more general kind of history thing.
0: So it could be another one of your projects revamp uh, history classes for people. Just add it to your
1: um, list. We were talking about like how Canada was involved in like, again, it was just like how Canada was involved in like the First World War, Second World War, and like the Great Depression, how it affected people here, and then there was like the, you know, the baby boom, how people after Second World War just started having kids left, right, and center, And and then we started talking about more recent history, like Um, you know, things like the, uh, in the 1970s, there was a massive garbage strike in Winnipeg, Manitoba that lasted for quite some time and it got very ugly. And then there was like, you know, different riots that went on in the country's history for various different reasons and different crazy natural disasters that happened like tornadoes, hurricanes. And, like, earthquakes that can hit certain parts of Canada that are, in fact, at an earthquake fault. Whereas Ontario is not. Though uh, Quebec is, but because we're so close to Quebec, even though we're protected by the Canadian Shield, if they have an earthquake, we'll feel little tremors here in Ontario, but nothing too severe. I had no idea. Tra- yeah,
0: There's a fault line up there,
1: huh? The place that gets hit hardest in Canada by earthquakes is either... Vancouver on the west coast or like New- Nova Scotia, and Newfoundland on the east coast. Absolutely and then Quebec bunkers. as well. But then Ontario, we're protected by the Canadian shield. So we, we don't get earthquakes, but we feel like if Quebec has an earthquake, we'll feel tiny little tremors, but it's nothing crazy where there's, it's not like there's damage or anything, just like the ground will tremble for a couple seconds and then it will stop
0: you look and your picture is slightly shifted to the side and it's like, well, that's weird. And so we can always tell or like I'll be
1: lying in bed or I'll be sitting down somewhere and the ground will just start trembling a little bit. I'm like, that's weird.
0: Eh, it's fine. I'm just going to wait for sirens to go off. No, no, we're good. Okay. We're good.
1: No, usually when, when we feel the shock, it's more the aftershocks we feel, but again, it's so minor that there's not any damage or any fatalities or injuries. It's like very, very minor. Like You'd have to be sitting down still or lying down to really feel it. If you're moving around, you won't feel it pretty much.
0: So fascinating. I haven't been in an earthquake in years. Fracking. We have fracking issues. So we occasionally get uh, tremors. They're bigger than that. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of fracking out in Alberta. They, they they do that a lot in Alberta.
0: So to kind of get back on track, because I love both of our brains. You're like, whee, um, squirrels. Yay, I like sparkly things. Um, can you give a little bit of like what the history? Because um, I know you and I have talked about residential facilities, but can you kind of give a little of the history of what disabilities has looked like in Canada, or as much as you know?
1: Yeah, you know, there. I feel like um, people with disabilities are going as time goes on. People with disabilities are becoming more and more mainstream, and it's becoming more and more well known in the media. Like more and more media are willing to cover and give us like airtime and give us a voice that we can put out to the general public and try and get more and more people to understand us rather than judge us. And rather than just try and, you know, lock us away. And, um, you know, back, you know, decades ago, if your child had a disability, like, Oh, just lock them in this institution and they'll just die with no one to care for them. Um, whereas now, you know, they're starting to realize that wasn't acceptable and that they are, training people on how to better help people with disabilities and they're getting people who are higher functioning like myself to come in and do training. Like I've done training where I trained the police on how not to kill someone with autism and mental health crisis and how like to get group home workers to better understand their clients who may be nonverbal. Like there's a group home, like right down the road from where I live where a lot of them are physically adults, but mentally they're like that of like infants so, like, they're not toilet trained, they're still in diapers, and, you know, you have to train the staff, okay, what to look for um, to see if they need to be changed, rather than just waiting until they soil themselves, but what to look for if they only have peed themselves.
0: I mean, there's a huge discussion that needs to be had on dignity, um, and understanding that, you know, the difference yeah, Also, you want to get
1: more disability washrooms built, because there's not enough of them. Like, a lot of the parents that I went to Queen's Park with, uh, which is the Ontario legislator, um, they have kids who are more on the severe end of the spectrum. And so luckily the one MPP that hosted us, Minister of uh, Provincial Parliament, um, let them use their office, like, as a, like uh, they had a couch that was pretty high off the ground to change their kids, but there was no disability washing, even our local legislator. And we're trying to get that built in one of the parts that isn't used right now or never really has been used. Um, And we want to get more businesses and restaurants and, and other places to build disability accessible washrooms.
0: It's, there's so many things that you don't realize how ableist society is and how ableist the cultures are um, that we're involved in until you know, either you injure yourself and you, you know, are in crutches or in a wheelchair, or you get your eyes dilated and have to have an eye patch or something, um, or, you know, you have a traumatic brain injury or you get paralyzed due to an accident. And then yeah. it's, you know, looking for ramps, you know, what are the lights like in these situations? Um, you know, there's so many sensory things that can happen too. And, and if we're not paying attention to even those little things, like we just, we miss the whole picture.
1: So. Yeah. But I mean, When I was in grade eight, we had a Canadian Paralympian from the Paralympic team come, and he was in a wheelchair. And there's a a big tower that's very famous in Toronto called the CN Tower. Um, And he did this, there's a stair climb where they do it for charity. And he did the stair climb up this building in his wheelchair. That's incredible. And like his arms were the size of my head because of like how powerful, you know. How powerful he is upper body because he's in a wheelchair and he climbs like 1500 steps in a friggin' wheelchair. I don't know how you do that, but he managed to do it somehow.
0: Yeah. And wheelchairs are not light in any way.
1: Like even the sports ones, it's like, how the heck did you learn to climb stairs in a friggin' wheelchair? They're not made for stairs, they're made for ramps. Because he's a badass.
0: But it's it's one of those things that people are like, oh well, he just learned to adapt. He got stronger, so therefore we don't need to make changes. And I'm like, you just miss the entire no, that's part. Only one person. Yeah, exactly. It's one one. You know, it's much easier if we make it accessible to everybody.
1: Yeah, even that guy could sometimes maybe use a ramp if he's tired and doesn't want to use all of his strength to climb a set of stairs in his wheelchair
0: because he just climbed you know 1,500 stairs going straight up. Kind of. yeah.
1: But so yeah, why don't we make him climb another fifteen hundred stairs? Like, no, he just climbed fifteen hundred stairs. He doesn't need to climb another fifteen hundred. He shouldn't have to. Like,
0: so so, what are some of the things that um, practitioners, teachers, humans can start to do that would that would make things better? Um, You know, little things, big things. You know, if you're
1: working with young clients, you really try and reach out to autistic adults like myself and other autistic adults that. I'm friends with, and not just here in Ontario, but all over, no matter where you work, try and reach out to, you know, adults with autism who have lived experience, who can maybe guide you in the right way and listen to our experience and learn from our experience. I think that'd be really, and like, especially like, you know, one of my goals when, you know, right now you can only go into hospitals via appointment but one thing I want to do is I want to train, do more police training, We I also want to train doctors and nurses on be- how to better help uh, people with autism. I want to train border guards. I want to train uh, TSA people at the airports. There was this mom in the autism community. She's a flight attendant here in Ontario, and she was, started this program called Open Skies for Autism. It's, uh, there's a Facebook group on um, Facebook. Um, and she would train like, flight attendants and pilots on how to better help airplane passengers And how to be more accommodating to them if they have autism. Like,
0: it's not, it's, it's little things. Like. A a training, you know, I spend a week, and and it's not just you're going to learn everything in that day, but at least you've started the the discussion and you've started that change in perspective. So instead of going like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that kid is like having a tantrum, it's now, oh, matey, you're melting. What's going on? Let's let's figure this out. Do we need to go take a break? Like the entire perspective flips from you know being judgmental and biased to
1: like, yeah, I saw this beautiful video online where this um flight attendant this female flight attendant uh sat with a kid that on her one of her flight routes that was having a meltdown he he had autism and he she sat with him and didn't judge him and waited for him to calm down it's like we need more people like that
0: I had a total humbling slap in the face moment with one of my individuals that I work with who is non-vocal verbal and so we use a lot of pictures we've got some like fun chirps and whistles that we've been able to kind of translate and He was upset and he did not want to get out of the car. We were at the park and it's like, dude, like, okay. And so I was trying to bring my requirements down and mom says, oh yeah, buddy, the dogs are gone from the dog park. And I just went, oh my gosh, I forgot you don't like dogs and you have no way to tell me you don't like dogs. And there were dogs. I'm so sorry. I'm a horrible person. I totally forgot. And the look on his face it will forever be burned into my brain. Cause it was like that. Oh my gosh, you finally get it. You finally get it. And so it's, it was amazing because one, I'm like, holy crap. Um, I just need to figure out a way to get you to be able to say, I don't like the dogs. Um, and we'll get there. But yeah, I, once I finally heard him, we were fine. Like we got out, like we were okay. We moved the locations, we calmed down, but like, It's taken years to be able to unpack a lot of my own. You know,
1: there's a PECS card, but then there's also, you know, using uh, assistive technology like iPads or computers or phones where like you click on an item on the phone or the iPad and says, I want this or I need that. And they do it independently and they learn to communicate using that rather than speaking like me and you do so that's
0: another kind of question I have. So for those individuals who lack those kind of sophisticated skills, like we can have a conversation, but like my buddy, we speak in chirps, you know, what are some of the ways that we can help, um, make sure that we are actually listening to those voices? Because what I don't, what I, what I hesitate sometimes with is like that facilitated communication. I don't want it too much projecting. Like, even if he's hitting the, like, where's kind of that balance. If you have any ideas on that,
1: I mean, our, our goal is to try and get kids to communicate whatever way they can, whether it's pointing at a PEX card or whether it's using assistive technology or whether it's learning to verbalize like me and you can. But we want them to communicate in any way that they are capable of. We don't just want everyone to learn to communicate like me and you. So if they communicate pointing at PEX cards or if they communicate pressing an item on a phone or an iPad that will then tell the person that they're with what they want or need then that's what we use.
0: Very cool. Um, I know, and so I'm just curious on your thoughts of this, um, a lot of autistic kiddos that I've worked with will script. So movie scripts, TVs, all those fun things. And it's fantastic. Oh, yeah, like
1: a lot of, it's so funny. Like, um, a lot of, so I went to a camp that accommodated people with autism, though a lot of the campers were not autistic, but there were some, and also some volunteers that were autistic. And this one individual He would sing songs from his favorite Disney movies, or he would repeat lines from his favorite Disney movie over and over and over again, but he would not communicate with us. He would kind of just be in his own world, but we're like, you know what, let him be in his own world. He seems happy. Let's just keep him happy and comfortable.
0: Well, and sometimes too, like you can kind of play the figure out like, okay, once I figure out what it's from, you know, is there something that you're trying to communicate with it and you just don't have those words?
1: And he just kind of sing it by himself or like script different lines, and it was kind of funny. Like some of the lines were quite funny, and we like laugh not at him, but we laugh kind of with him. That's cool.
0: And and that's you know things that people like, I want to consider. You know, play doesn't need to look like look. We're sharing trucks all the time. Like sometimes it's just hanging out and kind of you know chilling. And someone says something, and we all kind of giggle about it. And someone else says something, and you know it's that getting away from what we think it should be and like just like
1: I remember doing social groups to learn how to socialize and one game we played was quite funny it was like uh you'd have to try and make the other person laugh without yourself laughing um so it'd be like um uh the person asked a bunch of questions it'd be like what do you brush your hair with sausages what do you brush your teeth with sausages and you keep saying sausages, and try, you try to make the other person laugh while not laughing yourself. It was <laughs> really funny. Like, a lot of us struggled, but it was so much fun. I love that social group. That's awesome. That's really cool. Like,
0: what else did you guys do that made it enjoyable?
1: Um, Like, at the end of the week, we'd, like, we'd get to go to, like, the local pizza place and get pizza and bring it back to the therapy center. Or we'd get, like, we'd order pizza to the therapy center and picking it up and we'd have like juice and cookies and little snacks and we'd watch a bit of TV or movies or something to reward us for our hard work. That's awesome.
0: So did you guys help like create your own goals for the social group
1: or was it? Yeah. So we would create our own goals with our separate therapists. And then once that happened, that was for the social group. But then when it was one-on-one therapy, my therapist would work on like goals for what I wanted to accomplish like in school or like outside, like in the outside world and like that kind of stuff.
0: That's really cool. I like that collaborative effort. So I feel like that makes a very goal
1: oriented. Like it was very like, okay, what goals have you achieved? What goals do you want to work on? what skills do we need to make sure that you keep and don't lose and like don't regress. And it's kind of trying to balance everything. And, one thing I always say to therapists is if a kid's not wanting to do a certain task at therapy one day, move to a different task. If you keep trying to do that one task, you're just going to upset them. And that's going to cause a meltdown.
0: Yeah. It's not a big deal if we don't touch on this today or, you know, we come back to it later. And I think a lot of us can get really rule governed and like, but no, I need to make sure that I have all. Okay. It's a day. I mean, if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's like the way the current school system is, it's not really functional because we're not really looking at achieving those kind of goals and looking at long-term maintenance. We're just teaching to test. It's so funny. Like
1: I really disagree with a lot of what Florida has done during the pandemic, but the one thing I agree with that they have been doing, they're like, instead of report cards and grades, why don't we just have progress reports to see where each individual student is progressing and still needs to further progress? Like, holy crap. That's like one of the smartest things I've ever heard. And usually Florida are not known for being all that smart, no offense to their government, but seriously, their government are uh, not the best. I mean, we just have Florida man too, so. <laughs> but instead of We're report just... cards, progress cards for each individual student, like, okay, where is this student progressing? Where do they still need help? And instead of report cards and com- so a student can compare grades and make others feel bad, you know? Yeah.
0: You know, it's it spirals really quickly. You know, you get those that are super competitive, and it causes ulcers, or it causes them to have nervous breakdowns. And it's like you're, or it you're causes, like
1: students who get better grades to bully the students who get worse
0: grades. Yeah, and I'm like, what, and what what kind of society are we perpetuating at this point? Like these are kids, exactly. and then they're just going to grow up and be bigger kids that still do this.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's
0: a really interesting thing, though, too, of looking at. Um, you know, if we're, I, I know everyone's like, oh, we need mastery in, in these, you know, what the terminal goal is and everything. And really it's, I don't know, I think the progress side of it's a lot cooler, what the journey is, because yeah, I can have these long-term goals, but those can change, um, you know, and, and not exactly. something like, I don't, I'm not gonna say like pencil writing or whatever, like walking, I don't know, but just you know, oh well. I, at this point in time, I think I want to go get a job here. Da 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 And so we start going through that process. And then it's like, well, maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I want to go try this instead. Cool. Let's be flexible. But it's still building.
1: Yeah, I've talked to another therapist. She's very much like you. Like where she doesn't force. Like she's working with one client that, you know, most often the time doesn't want to sit on the toilet. They're not torturing. They're trying to very slowly, but they're not pushing it overly. And so. If that day they don't want to work on toiletry, then they'll work on another skill.
0: I wake up in bad moods. I wake up after having nightmares and don't feel good. Like these things happen, you know, just because someone can't articulate it in the same way doesn't mean that we should ever disparage them and be like, well, no, I'm going to make you do this.
1: I don't feel good. Exactly. Today. So- like, and that's what, you know, when I go through like groups on Facebook where parents are like, oh, I really want my child to, to toilet train, it's like, if you push them, you're just going to scar them.
0: All right, quick pause, and here's the second of your two key words. Your second word is goals, G-O-A-L-S. Whose goals are we meeting? Yeah. So I kind of wonder, Mike, do people people forget what it was like to be a kid? Because I sure remember going through school. I remember a lot of the things that, you know, good and bad that stick out. Huh. But it's that perspective-taking, and if you're not willing to...
1: And it's like, a lot of the parents, like, would post in the group, oh, my child doesn't want to wear pants at home during the lockdown. Like, where, where are you going? Where, like, where are you going? We're in lockdown. Like, where are you going? Like, it doesn't matter if your kid doesn't want to wear pants.
0: You know, like, for um, girls, a lot of times, it's, you know, they don't want to wear a bra, and I'm kind of going, so give them options. T-shirts, sports bras, like... They don't need to, you know, just because their peers look the certain way and that's what everyone says, like, if it's not comfortable, then why are you going to force them to be uncomfortable their entire day? Like, you're just agitating.
1: You know, like, you know, girl, a lot of, like, the parents, if they had, like, a daughter who's, like, hadn't developed, you know, a chest yet, it's like, they don't, they don't need to wear anything above, like, above the waist. Like, let them run around naked. Like, you're not going anywhere. Where are you going other than the grocery store once in a while in the pharmacy? Or the liquor store, but that's once in a while. It's not every day. Like, where, where are you going? Like, seriously, we're in lockdown. Like, where, where are you going?
0: Yeah. What's the context? What's your What's the purpose of this right now? And if it's just so that it's you like, can be in control?
1: Nah. Yeah, it kind of feels like that. It's like if your child wants to run around in their underwear or diaper, whatever, let them. We're in lockdown. It doesn't matter. That not was... like you're having people over. It's not like you're going anywhere.
0: See and I quite enjoyed that freeing experience. That was my favorite thing. run around not have to see anybody
1: I mean, I'm a very social person, so I kind of struggled so like I like a lot I know a lot of my neighbors, so I'd stand on the sidewalk and they'd stand on their porch. So I could still see them physically distant, but like I wasn't like actually going up and hugging them or going into their houses.
0: But just good to acknowledge that there's another human still there,
1: yeah, but as soon as I came back inside my pants came off my shirt came off and I just run around on my boxers yeah so that's where like we, we get stuck in our heads
0: too often and what this image of like perfect or families or classrooms or whatever environment it is needs to look like in reality I'm like scrap it because it's it's much cooler to look at you know Okay, I'm going to go super metaphor here. Like, whatever colors you have in front of you and create your canvas as you go, as opposed to already
1: having it in mind. So, and And it's like, when I think to, you know, when I see like parents, some parents who don't mind their kid running around naked and it's like, even before the pandemic, like if their kid was running around just in their underwear or diaper, if they're like really young and they've guessed over, Little kids don't need privacy, like, until they get older.
0: It's, it's like, all learning.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really like little kids don't need privacy. Babies don't get privacy. They don't get to decide when, when and where they're changed or whatnot. No, and that's,
0: you know, it's looking at skills and and where we're at and like you said the context of it you know do we need to worry about this right now no okay let's not why are we freaking out because it's just putting undue stress on the kid or the other person
1: exactly Exactly.
0: and then like and as you've pointed out this whole time like long term that sticks with you
1: exactly even now that we're out of lockdown when i'm not doing like interviews like this or when i'm not like having virtual meetings I'm just in my underwear. But if I leave the house or if I have something important that I have to do at, in the house and have other people, then I'll wear my clothes. But as soon as all that's gone, I just go back from being just in my boxers.
0: Solid, man. I brought it up on the pod before. No one knows if you're wearing pants when you're on Zoom. It's a glorious thing. It's my favorite.
1: It's my favorite. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, dude, this has been awesome. So I think I've gotten through all of my questions. So really, um, there's like my last two little bits are one, if you don't mind sharing uh where people can find you on the web. So if you want to plug where you're at, um be able to people to contact you. I'm on you.
1: Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'll send those links to Kelly and then she can share it to her podcast or whatever. Um and then um yeah, and then there's I'll share some other links with Kelly if she wants to share with you guys. Cool. Uh, there's like a bunch of really amazing uh, YouTube videos of people Oh, what did you think of the the Awesome Friendly Town video that I sent you? Did you watch that yet?
0: I haven't watched it yet. I have a friend that I was like, you, you, sure you need it? to watch this with me. So it's on our. We're gonna watch it this weekend when we hang out because she was really excited Who, too.
1: <laughs> who's this
0: that you're talking about? Um, she's another. She's a. I've known her for oh, like 15 years so okay she works someone, a lot with transitions watch it
1: together yeah nice
0: yeah because i told her i was like did you know about this because i figured she would because transitions and that's her jam she's worked in schools most of her life and i was like okay we're gonna we're gonna sit down and watch this and it's gonna be glorious
1: so yeah i think yeah. the video is only like 10 minutes long or something oh, perfect. Still, it's like it's really great and then yeah there's this movement that's sweeping across the u.s called like radical unschooling where, like, parents aren't enrolling their kids in school because they realize kids don't need to be in school. They can learn in other ways.
0: I really dug the concept of unschooling. Um,
1: I wish like- I had that option when I was growing up. I feel like I wouldn't have some of the same emotional scars that I do now.
0: I definitely would be less of a perfectionist and not have given myself ulcers.
1: And also, I wish, like, it would have let me to not to give less of a f- honestly.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, last thoughts, um, recommendations, how to make the world better? What can we do?
1: Listen to autistic voices. Like, Kelly's having me on her podcast here, and I've gone on other podcasts. I'll send you those as well. But, like, really listen to people with lived experience, like myself and other autistic adults and self advocates, because we've lived it. Now we're trying to help future generations so they don't have to go through the same struggles we had to go through.
0: I really dig the lived experiences because I know some people hesitate with, like, oh, well, they don't have a diagnosis or they're self diagnosed. Uh uh, I lived. I've been through I this. I feel like here's
1: the thing though with self diagnosed, that can get very dicey because it's like then people can self diagnose themselves. If we allow that, then they can self diagnose themselves with, with anything and that's going to clog up the healthcare system.
0: If you pursue things, I suppose. So I guess it kind of depends, because for some, just having that label makes things okay. Um,
1: but yeah, but it's I mean, there's, so, there's so many people I see, you know, on uh, on the news getting arrested for like faking cancer, or and like taking a bunch of money that people raise for them that they duped into doing that. And it's like that's one of the things that just really angers me.
0: Grifters, yeah. I don't, I don't like rifters because they tend to prey on extremely vulnerable people. So, and that.
1: And also like, if you have any other uh, behavior therapist friends that want to reach out to me, you can feel free to give them my email um, and my Facebook and yeah. Cool.
0: Well, man, this has been absolutely amazing and I'm so stoked that you came on. Um, I appreciate it immensely and hopefully, I mean, we can chat later about other things.
1: Yeah, and uh, hopefully you can eventually come up to Toronto. I'd love to meet you in person. Hell yeah.
0: Um, Fun fact, I've actually already started looking at a road trip. So I'm going to do my little sign off. So I love you all humans. Be kind to each other. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to this adventure of the Atypical Behavior Analyst. Check out the website atypicalba.com for more episodes, references, and to purchase CEUs. To stay up to date, like and follow us on social media. Just search Atypical Behavior Analyst. If you like the show, please rate and leave us a review. And if you want to support the show but don't need CEUs, you can help by clicking the Buy Us a Coffee link in the show notes. So until next time, listeners, grab your towel, keep exploring, and we'll see you in the fringes. Well, hello again, friends. We appreciate you sticking around to hear this wonderful preview. So enjoy a clip from episode 35, and we'll see you again soon. Sometimes our really savvy owners that have kids will say, oh, this is just what I did with my child. I'm like, exactly. So it's fun when they draw those parallels for you. For sure. (laughs) And then when you point it out that you can do this with their significant other too, then they really, you know, you really have their attention. (laughs) That's my least favorite question though. (laughs) Can you train my husband to don't don't ask me that.